Support for Market Foolery comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully so you can be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool. It's Wednesday, August 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me, Bill Barker from Motley Fool Funds and Ron Gross from Total Income, and we are live from Chatter in yeah, Washington. This is DC. awfully exciting. It is exciting. We are uh, so. I don't get out much. Yeah, <laughs> we don't get out of the studio much, but it is. It's great to be here. Um, uh, right off the bat, I want to say thanks to uh, Mark Stern, um, who's the producer of Tony Kornheiser's podcast. Who was uh, Mark is just the man in, in setting us up today here at Chatter. So um, thank you, Mark, and setting up Dan Boyd. Dan, Dan is not behind the glass. I don't know how Dan feels. Are you comfortable? I'm here at the table, and yeah, it's great. It's a great setup. All right. We've got uh, Priceline earnings. We've got TripAdvisor earnings. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. We've got to start with the story of the day, though, and that is Walt Disney. Third quarter results, which were completely overshadowed by the news, that Disney is now the biggest cord cutter in the world. <laughs> Disney is pulling its movies from Netflix starting in 2019. They also announced they're launching an ESPN, uh, ESPN streaming service sometime in the first half of 2018. And based on what is happening with Disney stock, which is down, and what is happening with Netflix's stock, which is also down, that tells me, Ron, <laughs> no, one <laughs> no one knows what to make of this. That's right, everyone's just a hater. <laughs> uh, I, I like Disney. I've been a shareholder for almost forever, um, and it, it's treated me well. Um, obviously, the story for decades was ESPN, where most of the profits came from, um, although most people didn't even realize that, I think. And now it's kind of the linchpin, um, where ESPN has been struggling. In fact, in, in this current quarter, operating income for the cable networks fell 23%, and that remains... Um, the concern of investors. Now you say, here, here we go with the news, though, and what does this mean going forward? Uh, a whole new world for Disney, um, it's, and a, a new world for Netflix as well. And one has to wonder, is this, is this the first domino to fall in terms of people pulling content from Netflix? Um, I like to see Disney make this move, but it by no means is going to be easy. It's by no means, we have no idea what the cost, the price of this service is going to be. We don't know how easily it will be adopted by viewers. Like, for example, I am an ESPN subscriber um, through uh, my Verizon Fios. I don't think I will be a Disney subscriber of their new service. Um, so of the ESPN service. Of the ESPN service. Um, so I don't think, you know, we'll have to see how the adoption, how the adoption flows through, but it's certainly um, an interesting move, a shot across the bow of Netflix. Well, and to focus on ESPN for a second, Bill, for years, analysts every quarter have essentially been saying to Bob Iger, the CEO, what are you going to do about ESPN? What are you going to do about ESPN? Now they're doing something and you look at the stock today, and it's like, well, we didn't think you were going to do that. Sure. Well, I think there's a fair amount of uncertainty about how this will play out and, and how, as Ron says, whether he's going to adopt this. That's all, it's know. all about me, really. <laughs> and a lot of other people are going to say, well, if it's not the stuff that's already on ESPN, why do I want that? The problem for ESPN is they didn't – so the segment uh, operating income that Ron referred to, their revenues were not really down for the quarter, uh, year over year, but their operating income was down 22%. Why is that? Well, one is um, they they lost two games from the NBA Finals that they had last year. So the comparison, I don't know, did anybody watch the NBA Finals this year? Not this year. Not this at all? No. 
I mean, you personally. Me personally, I didn't watch anything. No. And last year? I've watched uh, at least a little bit of every game. Right. And you're everybody. But yet so there's a rate increase. Right. That was, that was, it was Chris plus a few other people that made the difference there. And, uh, <laughs> and also the costs are going up across the board. They've, they've locked into these contracts with very expensive um, you know, major league properties, and they're paying more, and the audience is not growing. And the, the revenue is not growing, so the equation is bad. So what are they going to do with all of this uh, content that they've bought up, and they're going to take it elsewhere? And they've, they've cut costs because they've been forced to. They've terminated on-air personalities, um, and, and they've trimmed as much fat as I think they can. Um, now the, the next decision was, well, are we going to move into the 21st century and do this on our own, or are we going to stick with Netflix? And, and obviously we see the decision today, and as you know, the confusion in the market. And completely overshadowed in all of this is the fact that the theme park segment up 12% year over year. I mean, the, the, I don't know who runs the theme parks at uh, the Walt Disney Company, but that person couldn't get arrested today. <laughs> right. You know, they've been spending a lot of money um, in that segment, whether it's uh, the Shanghai Park um, or the Avatar, Avatar um, new attraction. Um, in Orlando, um, Star Wars is coming to Florida. Um, they've been spending a lot of money to really beef up and, and make that um, segment more attractive. You do see it showing up somewhat in the numbers. Profit grew 18% in the theme parks, um, but that doesn't really count um, a lot of the costs that they, they've uh, been putting forth as capital expenditures, but hopefully that will bear fruit down the road. Yeah, I think the theme parks is a bright spot, and of course, it's a function of when you go to the theme parks, as as you've done. I yes, believe, um, it costs all the money yes. to, to to be there, <laughs> and at the end, you have no money, and Disney has all of it, and they're still able to to do that, uh, and and for the same reason that there is going to be some hope for this uh, Disney um, uh, channel or Disney over the over the top. Uh, product that is, it, you're not going to subscribe to the whatever the Disney thing is, but those that have young kids are kind of obligated in America to buy everything that Disney produces. That's fair. I you agree know? with that. You yes. have to go to the parks. It's the law. It is right. Well, it's an it's an unwritten law. Yeah. Right. And uh, that is still working, but you, you're not obligated to watch ESPN. So that is, I think. That which has worked for a long time for Disney is going to continue to work in and you know in some new media. I do think Netflix subscribers were, were thrilled to hear that the Marvel TV shows will not be leaving at least anytime soon because that's a separate deal. Um, Netflix actually produces those shows, um, so that I, I think a sigh of relief was heard across across the country from people who love uh, love those Marvel programs. But um, as Bill said, the theme parks cost so much money that there's really no money left uh, to go see Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, and that's why we saw the, uh, the film studio segment kind of take it on the chin uh, with profits uh, falling 12% there. Comparisons were, were tough. Better movies last year versus this year, so, so not a great um, result from that segment. All right, we'll circle back to ESPN at the end of the podcast. Last question on Disney. Right now, Bob Iger is scheduled to leave the CEO office in 2019. Do you think the deals that have just been announced, in particular this streaming movie deal that's going to launch in 2019, do you think these two deals make it more likely or less likely um, that he extends his time past 2019? Bill? 
I, it's a total guess, you know? I, I, I do not know. It's not your first time on this show. I know, <laughs> but, I, but what I like about this show is compared to being on, say, CNBC or, or something like that, is that when there's a question, you say, I don't have any idea. You can say that. Whereas uh, yeah, on TV, you have to act omniscient. Right. I, 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 that's fair. But I will take a stand here. I think it's more likely that he stays. Is this a stand think, or a guess? <laughs> it's a guess. Okay. And he brings on a really strong person to run a newly created kind of streaming um, offshoot segment um, because he, he needs to focus his attention on the bigger pictures and not, not run a streaming business. All right. Let's move on to Priceline and TripAdvisor, both reporting second quarter profits and revenue, both higher than expected, and uh, I'm not entirely sure why both stocks are down today. Um, <laughs> it, it, I, I think I understand it in the case of Priceline, but I'm not sure why TripAdvisor is down, because this is, this, uh, by almost every measure, this is a really good quarter for them. Yeah, I think good quarters for both. But again, as we often say, it's all about expectations and it's all about guidance. I think for both of these companies, future guidance was a little bit uh, weak, um, not exactly what folks wanted to hear. But for the current quarter, the one that just reported, everything looks good. Priceline, revenue is up uh, 18%. I thought that looks uh, uh, very strong. Net income up about 20%. Travel bookings up 16%. We can p uh, point to a lot of different metrics that, that look quite positive, uh, yet you see the stock selling off. And that, I think that's because the guidance um, they said gross bookings would be just 9 to 14% um, in the third quarter, and I think both analysts and investors were hoping that that would be a little bit more robust. But when you look at the performance of these two stocks over the last year, Priceline, even with the drop today, is up about 33, 33% yeah. over the past year. TripAdvisor's taken it on the chin. Yeah, so when you start with, well, the stock is down today, you do need to start first with where has it come from to get to where it was at the beginning of the day and up 38% before today. Uh, obviously, it had not only had a good year in performance, but uh, investors were expecting uh, better and better things. This and is Priceline. This is Priceline. And, and so they had guided, I think, to um, 12 to 17% uh, growth, and they came in at 16%, but most analysts had gotten used to Priceline um, under-promising and over-delivering. So they, they had penned in higher numbers, 18 19% growth, and not only for this quarter, but you know going forward. So even though Priceline did, at the high end of what it said it would do, it did not do better than the guidance. In that. And once you get out of, oh, let's just assume they're sandbagging and let's put in an even higher number <laughs> because that's what we're used to and that's what has been the case up till now, now you have to adjust and say, well, let's start compounding out this growth at 15% at rather than 18%. If you only lose 8% of your uh, stock price on something that has gone as far and as fast as Priceline has, that's actually pretty good for the yeah. stock. And, and when you have a stock trading at 40 or 50 times earnings, this is going to happen, um, even when there's a little bit of a hiccup. People have made a lot of money. The stock is trading at what I consider to be you know, lofty valuations based on the promise of future growth. And if that future growth is in question, you get a sell-off. It will, it will happen almost every time. So TripAdvisor down 40% over the past year. Is this a, is this a cheap stock, or is this... A value trap. 
cheap stock at 57 times earnings? <laughs> who, are you, who are you talking to? No. <laughs> um, I don't think it's a cheap stock. Uh, I think people are concerned about the hotel revenue, the growth in that segment versus the non-hotel, um, we'll call it the restaurants and other things. Hotel revenue only up 3% in the quarter. Um, and I think they, they said they're cautious about the, the back half of the year, cost per clicks in particular. Um, I like that they, they repurchased some stock. You know, is that going to be, in the end, a good use of capital at 57 times? I don't know. I should, so maybe I shouldn't have let off with I like to see them do that. I don't. Time will tell whether that's a good use of capital or not. Obviously, they think it is. Um, the company's numbers are fine. They're just you know not fine enough to support you know 50 or 60 times uh, price-to-earnings multiple. Well, the problem for TripAdvisor is that the hope that people would go to TripAdvisor and do research and then book from TripAdvisor is not really happening. And that was a number when, when you could think, oh, TripAdvisor is going to get a huge chunk of the bookings that people uh, ultimately make directly from their site rather than by then going back to Priceline or going back to the source, you know, the hotel's uh, website and booking there. People are just not taking TripAdvisor up on the direct booking there, and you know, they're, while the while the company has grown revenues in the last five years, uh, it has not grown earnings. The earnings are half uh, earnings per share today of what they were five years ago. Subsequently, the stock has returned nothing over five years. Actually, it's probably worse than that because it it's been a bit of a parabola on the stock price. Ooh. It visited some high prices and has lost I don't know more like sixty or seventy percent of its value since since its peak. These are two uh, frenemy type of industries that we're talking about today. When you think about the travel industry and the, to to your point, Bill. TripAdvisor needs to work with the hotels, but Marriott, which is happy, just to pick one example, Marriott is happy to work with TripAdvisor, but if you dose them up with Truth Serum, what they really want is people booking directly through Marriott.com. And in the case of television, television production in particular, when you look at Disney and Netflix, I know some people are are you know, in the media are playing this out as like, oh, Disney's declaring war on Netflix. It's like, no, they're frenemies. They, they you know, in the same way that the traditional television networks, CBS, Fox, ABC, they, they all work together in various forms. Agreed. And from, from a Netflix perspective, I actually don't think this is that big a deal, Disney pulling out. It'll be a bigger deal if we see follow-through from a lot of other content providers. But just in a vacuum, this one announcement from Disney, uh, I don't see it being any major big deal for Netflix. No, I don't think that uh, there are that many other players that have the same strength that Disney does to really launch under their own brand. Um, so uh, you see CBS uh, doing things uh, over the top and, and putting things uh, directly there, but also on Netflix. Um, so I, I think it, it is much like the travel industry. There are moments and, and elements of the transaction where you're in bed together and, and other times when you're competitors, and that goes for Priceline and TripAdvisor. All right, before we go on, I want to say thanks to our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. Not for Bill Barker, not for Ron Gross, for you. That's what we want. We want you to get the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. 
NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. You can follow us on Twitter. The show's account is at MarketFoolery. Question from longtime listener Levi Waddell in South Dakota. Levi writes, I'm getting married this Saturday. Any foolish advice on marriage? Oh, oh do we? Did you come to the right place, Levi? How much time does he have? Three experienced marriage professionals like ourselves. Ron, any marriage advice for Levi? Yes. Well, first of all, congratulations. Absolutely yeah. all the best to you and your lovely bride. Um, I think my advice would be that marriage is just like investing. It's all about temperament. It's all about the long-term mindset. But in the end, it's all about cash flow. <laughs> nice. So you're saying money can buy happiness? <laughs> yeah, you know, it doesn't hurt. Bill? Is this about the, the marriage, the wedding itself, or the institution of marriage, or, or what? Take it in any direction you want. Uh, well, you know, from, from my wedding, what I would say is um, things will go wrong on the wedding, on the wedding day. Really? And one of my groomsmen um, did not appear for the wedding. Um, he, it's a long story which does not reflect well on him. So I would, gonna, I would imagine it I'm, doesn't reflect well on I'm him. I'm going to leave details to the listener's imagination, but I'm standing there. G give us one. Give us one clue so we can piece this together in our minds. It's just like, hey, paint whatever picture you want, but just make sure this sure, piece I'll of the I'll puzzle is... Sure, I'll give you one. He's a Harvard graduate. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> so... Um, so he doesn't appear, and you know we don't have the right number of groomsmen for for the bridesmaids to to walk down. And he's he's staying in the hotel where the wedding is, and uh, so I'm I'm up there, and I've made it down. We've sort of thrown somebody like uh, whoever had a tuxedo on was then allowed to be one of the groomsmen, basically. And uh, I'm standing up there, about to get married, fuming about my friend, and. Uh, after, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds of that, I realized that there were probably more important things to focus on than, than the anger of the friend. But uh, I would just say, things, there, there's a lot going on that day. And uh, Levi, you still there? Just, <laughs> just 99% of it's going to be great. And just uh, enjoy, enjoy the whole thing. I am reminded... Don't get distracted by my friend. <laughs> the Harvard grad. Uh, I am reminded of... Uh, a similar conversation that we had on this podcast years ago uh, when the royal couple was about to get married, William and Kate. And uh, it was Bill Mann, our colleague Bill Mann, and James Early. And I sort of threw the question out to them, any, um, any advice for the happy couple? And uh, Bill Mann went first, and Bill's advice was essentially... Uh, this applies for all couples, but particularly couples who are going to be in the public eye. And this is a couple that will very much be in the public eye, eye their entire life. Um, give your spouse the benefit of the doubt. Just, just do that. And, you know, very good advice, particularly for that couple. And when it was James's turn, James, um, essentially the point he was trying to make, I believe, was uh, you will be more interesting to your spouse if you have interests of your own. Which I think is true. I, 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 I agree with that point. What James led with was, well, I guess I'd say you can't get blood out of a stone. <laughs> and Bill Mann and I just sort of looked at him like, wait, what? And, you know, and, and Bill's joke when we were done taping was, so, so your, your advice appears to be marriage. Eh. <laughs> anyway, nice, very have a great day, Levi. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Let's circle back to Disney. Uh, one thing which was not a subject of the earnings report because this did not take place during the quarter that was reported, uh, but did happen yesterday, August 8th, uh, on ESPNU, which is the ESPN channel dedicated to college sports. Um, and that is that on August 8th, ESPNU became, for 24 hours, the Ocho. Now, for anyone who's seen the movie Dodgeball, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen the movie Dodgeball, you, you should. You really What's should. What's wrong with you? <laughs> it's it's a great comedy that that holds up. Uh, but uh, the Ocho is a in the movie is a fictional ESPN network that is, I believe, the tagline is the the network of seldom seen sports. And uh, what they did was brilliant. I thought yesterday they had they instead of focusing on college sports for 24 hours, they said, "Yeah, we're going to be the Ocho." So they they had a darts tournament. I think they had a trampoline. I kept thinking ball. about that terrible but yet amazing Sylvester Stallone movie, Over the Top, with the arm wrestling competition. Yes, and I think they had some of that. Did they? Yeah. I feel like this was a, a, a pretty brilliant move on their part, and I would I would encourage them to do this not just once a year. I just think, well, maybe if you're if you're the go-to place for college sports, and that's what they're trying to be, then the summer is the time to do it because they're well, the kids aren't in school, and so there's not a lot of college sports. But maybe maybe next year expand it to a week, or something like that. That's a lot of content. It is a lot of content, but the, you know what? If you're if you're the American Darts Association. You're thrilled to have the exposure, aren't you? Yeah. I no, think. I, th I think that all uh, of the sports that were on there are happy to produce and, and provide for free the content. Uh, this is the highest exposure that uh, trampoline dodgeball is going to get all year. <laughs> do, our, do our listeners know that Mr. Barker is somewhat a, a, an expert at, at a sport that at an may, obscure sport? may be... Uh, good for the Ocho? I think longtime listeners uh, may be familiar with that, but for those who are, who are relatively new to the podcast, Bill is, uh, Bill played uh, tennis in high school and uh, I believe also in college or squash in squash college? In squash college. in college. And as an adult, plays the little known sport, court tennis, which is the forerunner to modern day tennis. And uh, Bill has competed in tournaments across America and around the world. Uh, and in fact, was it two years ago, national champion wow. in his division uh, for court tennis doubles. But uh, to, to Ron's point, where was court tennis yesterday? This, this is just screaming for the Ocho. You, can't you pull some strings here? Uh, I've thought about it. I've thought about it for the Ocho, although it's, it's far from an obscure sport. Most people are uh, <laughs> well familiar with the sport of court tennis. And, and is it different than pickleball? Downplay it like that is ridiculous. Uh, I, I think uh, it would it would do very well in the Ocho. That, you know, the World Championship is coming up, as you probably know. In the, in the <laughs> it's spring. on my calendar. And uh, unfortunately, you won't be able to be there. It's at the Queen's Club this year, in uh, or next year in in England. So, uh, getting what do you mean we won't be able? To, they're not going to let us in. You? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's like it's like James Bond stuff. You got to like be in a tux, and it's a whole thing. You play in a tux, don't you? No, just the spectators. <laughs> it's not a lot for of the sweating. For the World Championship at the Queen's Club? What are you talking about? Um, it's not like dodgeball. <laughs> By the way, so, so Bill and I were talking about this yesterday. For those of us, and, and it, it, Dan is, is too young to remember this, but the, the three of us are old enough to remember when ESPN first went on the air, e the original ESPN sports programming bore a striking resemblance to the Ocho. 
because they they (laughs) could not get their they were looking to fill 24 hours of programming they were buying up anything they could get and anything they could get in the early 1980s included australian rules football speedboat racing i remember that uh, um weightlifting competitions beer pong strongest man strongest man competition yeah it was mostly australian rules football in my memory yeah it absolutely was and i know that in australia that's a really big sport but in america i just remember in our house we were so excited we're getting espn this is so great and you turn it on and it's like what what is this it kind of looks like rugby but not really it looks like rugby and American football had a baby and <laughs> they decided to take off all of the padding. It just looks like a sport where a lot of people get injured all the time. Yeah, you gotta be, you gotta be manly to, to, to participate there. I mean, you have to be manly to play American football too, yes. but there's just a lot less padding in the Australian version. Yeah, SportsCenter was really the only must-see thing on ESPN back in the day. And, and SportsCenter itself, I think, was a lot more must-see. Than, than it is today because now you can get sports highlights all the time everywhere. You've got to sort of work to avoid them. Um, if they expand this next year, let's say, and we'll, 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 we know a couple of people at ESPN. We'll see if we can push this idea. Um, I know there's a sport that you've watched before in your travels, Bill, that was not on yesterday that hopefully will be on next year, and that's competitive sheep herding. Oh, my goodness. They, so... The thing is, they, they had darts on, and darts really, worldwide, does not qualify as a seldom-seen sport at all. In America, they, seldom seen. In America, seldom seen, but it's huge in, in England. And so I can remember being there one summer when I was working and being fascinated that darts was on TV, because as an American, I didn't know that people would watch that on TV, and I watched it. And uh, the other thing that I uh, grew to like watching was sheep herding, competitive sheep herding. <laughs> Which is amazing, and I, I recommend to everybody to get on YouTube and, and look up a few, a few of the better uh, sheep herding clips that there are. Because <laughs> the, the, these the dogs better. are amazing. So a quick question on that, because the, the question comes up frequently in uh, horse racing, which is not seldom seen in the United States, certainly the Kentucky it used Derby. to be one of the three biggest sports in the U.S. Absolutely. And so in horse racing, it's the whole jockey versus the horse. Which do you give credit to? That sort of thing. Competitive sheep herding. Am I, am I crediting the trainer or the dog? The dog. Okay. I mean, as a dog lover, <laughs> right? And as somebody, I don't know, maybe you should... I've never been able to train a dog to do anything, so I, the trainer should get a lot of credit. Dan, you want to jump in here? Would it be more impressive if there were no dogs in competitive sheep herding and it was just people running around? It would be boring. The sheep I don't. I don't know that it would be boring. Like, just one person trying to do the job of one dog? Waving his shepherd's crook around. I think that would be a lot of fun. I think you do a side-by-side thing there. You're watching Ron's making faces. You, you would totally watch <laughs> this that. This has gone off the rails. I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. Have you ever watched sheep herding? <laughs> no. Oh, I will as soon as I get to. back to the office. You got to. There's Wi-Fi here. <laughs> <laughs> don't waste a second. Phil Barker, Ron Gross. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you care. But that's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.